if it sounds good, it doesn't have to look good. All right, right. all right, it's all right. Podcasting 101 right there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sort of My Podcast. My name is Vincent Herman, Vin the Human, sitting right next to me. James Odell, Alpha Spectre. Unfortunately, Dr. T. Neal, Travis Herman, won't be joining us tonight. But what you can go ahead and join in on is liking Sort of My Brand and our nerd news page, Sort of My Comics, on Facebook. Follow Sort of My Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and subscribe to Sort of My Brand on YouTube. You're listening to this somewhere. Well, here, why not rate, review, comment, and tell us what you think about any of the stories that we cover in today's episode. And all of our personal social media is in the description down below. So, I, I've i been on a little bit of a bandwagon lately. Oh, God. Okay, well, little, like, okay, so, you know about Bill Finger, right? You're aware of the whole Bill Finger thing where, like, for years, Bob Kane was, like, taking yeah. credit now, for his Now, shit. Bill's finally getting the recognition yeah. that he is. Like, owed. all the way back to BBS was, I think, like, the first time on screen they had yeah. ever put his name in the actual, like... Intro in the credits. credits and shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I watched the Bill Finger documentary on Hulu, Batman Bill, and it just like opened this whole world to me. Like just like all of the things that this guy had done. He he had helped with the creation of uh, Green Lantern. He was uh, the the inspiration for the creation of Alfred and Batman. Just like tons of stuff. He was responsible for a lot of different things. And I and, like so much so like I, after I heard the. Um, Batman on Batman episode with his granddaughter, Athena Finger, who was, like, uh, her and the guy who made that documentary, like, were real big in in the fight of getting Bill recognition. Yeah. And stuff. So, uh, I wouldn't added her on Facebook <laughs> as a friend. Uh, she accepted it. I sent her, like, a nice little message to be like, your grandfather, blah, 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 this, and, like, I'm excited if you and Kevin Smith actually do team up, do a comic, like. Because that's what they talked about on the yeah. episode. Anyways, apparently, like, there's a lot more than just Bill Finger that goes under the radar. Like, one of the things that I've been noticing coming up in my feed now, uh, and I, again, this is probably, like, one of those, like, Facebook is watching everything you do, like, targeting you and shit. Like, but it, Wonder Woman's co-creator, H.G. Peter, or, like, claimed co-creator, because I'm going to ask you a question here in a second who was the original artist on the Wonder Woman books, uh, I guess he wasn't mentioned in the biopic, the James Marston and the Wonder Woman. Like, the the, the biopic movie about the creator of Wonder Woman. Yeah. The main creator. Uh, I guess he didn't get any recognition in the, the Wonder Woman movie either, or anything like that. Wow. Uh, but then, So I started looking into this guy. I was like, wait a minute, we got another Bill Finger on our hands? And I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> this shit runs deep. But, uh, no... So I started looking into it, as you do, and uh, I, I found out that he, he was only the artist. He, like, didn't really... I mean, he modeled what her look would be like, but he didn't really have much to do with, like, her persona her, or, her like, her the Yeah. He didn't really create Wonder Woman, and now I'm like, well, okay, why, why are people being so sensitive about this? And it brought up this question in me, and I was like, okay... Like, where Bill Finger, he he came up with the look of Batman. He came up with, like, a lot of the story ideas and stuff. And Bob Kane was just the artist. 
And there's a whole lot, watch the documentary. <laughs> so there's a whole lot more to it than that. But, uh, like, in this instant, James Marsden um, was, like, the writer. He, like, he came up with all this stuff. And, and this guy, H.G. Peter, just did the art. And so it brought up the question to me, should artists be considered co-creators? Like, I mean, yes, you made the look, but the writer's scripts, and Kevin Smith has even said, I actually, I've actually heard a lot of different uh, comic writers say this, that they're usually coaching the artists along. Their script helps define what goes into the actual thing, right. the actual finished product. So, yeah, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I can kind of see it from both sides, actually. You know, like, okay, say someone comes up with this brand new character and... You know, never before seen hero. Now, who is who is responsible for that first imprint? Like the first time you see this character in like full costume, heroic pose, like whatever it may be. You know, who who is the one giving us that visual image? Who who's the one that like? Gave us our first visual image of Superman, of yeah. Batman, of Wonder Woman, the Flash, like all of these heroes. Is it is it strictly the artists? Are they telling, or is it strictly the writer who came up with Spider Man? Okay, we'll go with this for example. Be like, are they standing over the artist's shoulder? Be like, okay, now I want him to have like a red and blue suit with a spider on his chest and I want it to look like a web all over his costume. Now, okay. are they giving them that exact of like a description of how they want this drawn? They well, just they can't draw it cuz they're like either a shitty artist or you know, they know that this yeah. person can do it, it justice. In this case, in this case I think it was uh HG Peter who actually like came up with the design of Wonder Woman. But like okay, well think of it this way. Like where comic books are both a mixture between a uh, visual medium and a literature well, they're medium. a work of literature and a work of art. Yeah. But people knew what Dracula looked like before anyone drew a picture of him, before Bella Lugosi played him on the big screen. Even though like Bella Lugosi's was a li- like was a take on the original version, people knew what he looked like because of the way it was described in the book. Right. Uh, so, like, okay, let's say, like, I if I drew a picture of an orange cat that looked dissatisfied, but nobody ever wrote anything for it, would anyone remember Garfield? No. It's the guy who, who said, I don't think he likes Mondays, nor does this fucker prefer to get up and do anything, nor does he want John to do anything but make him lasagna. Oh, yeah, he has an owner named John. The guy who wrote all that stuff down, that's the guy who really made Garfield who he was. And in this case, I would say that James Marston made Wonder Woman who she was, regardless of how she looked. Her character was probably more captivating than her outfit. Right. But, I mean, there's still that argument there is with with being in comics. You know, whether it's a comic strip, comic book, you know, a web comic, whatever... There's the the big part of it is looking at it, getting that visual image of these characters. So I feel like artists should should be credited somewhat, like what maybe not necessarily as like co-creator, because if someone like maybe if someone brought you like a stick figure and it was like make that Wonder Woman, 
Maybe as something like that said, like, with inspirations from H.G. Peter. Like, something like that. Like, not co-creator, but, like, maybe yeah, like, his imagery dis- uh, like, you know, inspired his, some of it. The yeah. way that he drew Wonder Woman became her iconic look. Yeah. You know, something like that. Like, to an extent. You, like, or, like, yeah. with, it all know, with Spider-Man, with Batman. Like, all these characters... You know, Except for Spider Man. Spider Man's is always the same. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you know, yeah. you think uh, of Spider Man, the first one you yeah. think of is, you know, that original that suit. That original suit which has not changed since his first right. appearance. You yeah. know, the the spider has changed a little bit over the years. Yeah, but, but I mean, even still, pretty, like, it yeah. stays pretty close to that amazing fantasy fifteen. Mm-hmm. But you know, so you've gotta give some credit to the people who like draw the eye. Yeah. I guess I just I just don't think that they deserve the specific title of co-creator because it, like, the things that we love about these heroes are not necessarily just how they look. Like a lot of what we love about these heroes is in who they are, who they which are, is why Bill Finger was a good like that. Like he he made Batman who he was, and then Bob Kane just like sold it and took all the credit and drew right. the book. But yeah, so like that's one of those instances where yeah, this guy needs to at least at the very least to be called co-creator. But like yeah. I think in the case of HG Peter, if he got a mention that'd be cool, like awesome. Yeah, I mean, he drew the first books or for at years, least but. like originally originally illustrated or the original artist for a hero mm-hmm. needs some kind of Yeah, okay, that. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, originally illustrated by HG Peter. That would be way better. Yeah, that, because, yeah, that would be good. You know, I could definitely get down for something e- like that. Even if someone comes along and you know, we got some better looks for some of our heroes in the new Fifty Two that have kind of stuck through Rebirth, you know, with some modifications here and there and all that. You know, you still always have like these these initial looks that have mm. brought the character to where they are. Yeah, you know, right. if you had the Flash running around in like a jogging suit, would he be as appealing? Right, <laughs> but I imagine that just has like little, like weird, like yellow trim on all. Of like it's like red jogging pants with like the yellow stripes down the side, like the windbreaker. <laughs> yeah. He's got like maybe like, a pair of yellow Nikes on or something. Uh, yeah, that would be hilarious. But, right. <laughs> uh, okay, so. Why don't we go ahead and start talking about uh, the actual books themselves and not, like, really clever arguments <laughs> built out of the legacy that is uh, comics. Uh, did I go first last time? I think I went you last. last. Time. Okay, I'll start us out uh, on this one. Guys, this week in comics, I decided to read Moon Knight number 188, which is part of the Legacy Renumbering Initiative. And one of the things that drew me to this book, first of all, Moon Knight's a, a compelling character, as it is. But my my favorite band's lead singer actually wrote this book and is going to be at least writing these first couple arcs, and that's Max Bemis of the band Say Anything. And what I think is really interesting about this book is that we actually don't follow Moon Knight in this first issue. Yeah. They, like, yeah, they were talking about a new villain gonna be like, and we well, they they mention him and that's it. Yeah, yeah, they well they had said uh, yeah they mentioned uh, Mark by name and I think there's like there's a dream sequence later yeah. in the book where like it's Moon Knight, but 
really, this book follows Dr. Emmett, who was treating Mark Spector, mm-hmm. and her new patient, which I believe is patient 86, Yeah, I is don't... what she refers to him as. I can't remember if he actually gets a name in this Oh, he of... does. Well, he does, he does but does I don't know. I can't remember if the person, if the patient has a name. Anyways, patient 86 is a bipolar uh, man who was serving in the army and then snapped and burnt his entire troop to death. And all throughout this book, it's really not so much uh, a story about him, even though he's he's an important catalyst in it, and he will, this is the new villain, this is going to be the guy that they're, they're going to be following later on but it follows dr emmett in her everyday interactions with people after having dealt with mark specter and his multiple personalities and And you see the effect that dealing with him and her i would call obsession with him has had yeah because it has had a negative effect on her life and it's caused her to raise all these questions she thought she already had answered and being very introspective throughout a lot of this book. And when she finally figures out what she can do to help this guy, it's because of her treatments with Mark Spector. She uses what she believes Mark was using to rationalize his insanity, not necessarily being crazy, because she does make a point of that. Yes, he was insane, but he was not crazy. Yeah. Of Egyptian mythology. Basing it on... Like, he was doing this in the name of a, an Egyptian god. Yes. Uh, so she brings this patient, 86, a picture of Amun-Ra. And it explains to him about Khonshu being Amun-Ra's son and their relationship with trying to burn brighter than the other. And, like, the imagery in this book is, like, I love it. Yeah, like as it, as the imagery as the book goes on, the imagery becomes more um, uh, uh, what would be the word like uh, projective. Yeah, it would be more projective of what's going on in their minds, symbolic mixed with what is going on in the real world. And he takes to it. He he starts reading all of these books that she gives him about ancient Egyptian gods, and I think she it's not really clear whether she gives him. Mark's file? She puts a file down here. I don't know if that's Mark's file. Mark Spector's file. But he does have a picture of the Moon Knight later. Which kind of makes you wonder, like, the credibility that she has. (laughs) Giving random patients... You shouldn't give patients other patients' files. Like, that's for sure. But they never really say whether she's actually done it. Maybe she just brought it in for a little bit of, like, uh, like show and tell. Like, she didn't read it off verbatim. But she's like, here's another patient of mine that suffered similarly to the way that you are. Yeah. And this is this is how I helped him, blah, blah, blah. They don't really go into that, but uh, it is there. Uh, eventually, she is interviewing the doctors at the military hospital that he was staying at before he was committed and ends up getting a text that there's something wrong at Ravencroft, which is where the patient 86 is being held. When she gets there, he has bitten off the nose of one of the nurses that were helping him and drawn Egyptian symbols all over his room in the blood. He said, when I revealed myself to her, she didn't believe. And then tries to get her to, to put together who he is. He's kind of playing a game with her at this point. And she guesses Khonshu, but she's wrong. Like, like this image right here where, like, 
the confrontation between the the two of them. He's Where like, he's, nah, he's like, yeah. call me by my name, yeah. say it. And she says, Conchu. And then he leans back and grins and says, Conchu has nothing on me as his eyes begin to burn. And then the entirety of his body begins to burn along with the room. He gives her the whole speech, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. You brought me purpose and uh, I've always been a god type stuff. Like, like, I don't want to go into the whole thing, take forever on it. But she comes to the realization that, no, he is not Conchu. He is Amun-Ra. As she's burning to death, She's thinking back on his entire story, putting together the pieces, and he leaves her to burn. They later find her in the hospital, or in the remains of this hospital. Like, like still alive, alive. Like, there's one eye just burnt out of her skull. Yeah, it is It is a gruesome, just one panel, too. It's just one panel. Yeah. And she said... Uh, she says in this panel, I said I believe. I believe. And then in the next panel, you can hear that she is now screaming it and hilariously laughing, having lost her mind. And then the book ends on one simple phrase. It begins. Yeah. So, this was a really great book. Got me very excited for the rest of this run. This is the kind of writing I would expect from Max Bemis. And it only makes perfect sense that our new villain is suffering from bipolar disorder. A, a large thing that brought me into Say Anything's music was because of the way it spoke to me. And then I only later found out that Max Bemis actually suffers from bipolar, which is something that I suffer from. And uh, so... It really only makes sense that he would use that as a way to introduce a new entity into the Moon Knight mythos. Right. And, like, one of the other great things about this that I found is, like, it doesn't really skip a beat picking up from where uh, Jeff Lemire's run ended. Yeah. Like, if anything, maybe this is just like a few weeks, maybe a month or two after. But yeah, you could tell this has affected her, and she's moved on and, and dealt with some other patients in that time. Yeah, but, it doesn't take it doesn't take place very long after, and like it does a great job at setting this whole thing up. Yes, and I think it's gonna be great. Another thing I love about this book is just the analytical writing the way she picks apart like almost every little thing the mm. the tongue like not necessarily i wouldn't necessarily say tongue in cheek but the uh, very quick-witted nature of the conversations that happen between these characters yeah. especially of dr emmett herself like just being like on the ball with every response that she has to anyone yeah uh, i have never read this character before and yet i feel like I know, like I, I feel like I know everything I need to know about her just from this one book. Well, this is one of the first times because I don't think she was a character in the Lemire run. Yeah, maybe she's uh, she dates back to like, like some of the older stuff. Yeah, I think she like predates this like the newer stuff, but you can tell that like obviously she's an existing character. Or else she wouldn't have all this interaction with Mark right. Spector. This is just one that you absolutely have to read. Uh, I I had actually started to take notes on panels that I wanted, like uh, not panels, but like speech bubbles and narration boxes that I wanted to read off. And they just piled up. Yeah, like there were too many to go over, and it's just it's a fun book. You gotta read it. Pick up 
Marvel's uh, Moon Knight 188, I, I'm sure it's probably still on stands right now. Yeah, people are probably like really overlooking this book right now. Right, and they shouldn't. Like, Marvel doesn't have a lot of winners right now, but this is one of them. Oh, yeah. So, alright, what did you, what did you bring for us so, today? So, uh, I picked up this, this trade a while back, and I finally got around to starting it. It's uh, written by Kyle Higgins, who he wrote the New 52 run of Nightwing, and he's also the writer on the current run of Power Rangers being published by Boom. Okay. Like, I've thoroughly enjoyed his writing through both of those series. I dug Um, Power Rangers. I feel like Power Rangers was a little... Well, maybe it's just that it's Power Rangers. I don't know, because I started picking up the book and read it up to 14 issues, and then just after a while, it just felt... uh, Pedestrian sounds mean. It just... Stale? Stay like it's it's nothing I couldn't have guessed or thrown together myself if I had like half an hour to sit down and think like what haven't they done in Power Rangers that would be really cool or Mighty Morphin Power Rangers to right. be exact. But yeah, uh, um, he also did a a Batman story, The Gates of Gotham. I don't know that one. Uh, Never heard it's, of that one. It's really cool. It uh, it takes place both in like present time and in the past. Okay. Uh, it's got Black Bat, Nightwing. Um, like it was a really good read. I'll have to dig it out and let you read it. I think Bob has it right now. Was it a crossover? Because Black Bat was a dynamite character. No. Yeah, there's a there's a character um, called Black Bat. Well, no, dynamite. she was part of the Batman Incorporated stuff. Okay. Yeah, I didn't get to read a whole lot of that. So. Uh, like I mostly found out about her through Gates of Gotham, and like did a little bit of reading. It it was Cassandra Kane before. Oh. Uh, like she was Black Bat before See, she became a, what is it orphan? Cassandra King? Yeah, yeah. She was orphan. Uh, I mean, officially, like like in the old continuity, she was Batgirl. Yeah, but yeah. But anyway, like he wrote this, and I found out he like back when I was reading all that, I found out he this was one of his first things that he did, and uh, it's called Cow, and it's published through Image. It's the Chicago Organized Workers League. Uh-huh. It's nice. basically a uh, a superhero union. Okay. Like like you know you have like the laborers union, the pipefitters union. Yeah, well, yeah. This is the superheroes union, and it has all of these different characters. And you know, like I was saying earlier, it's very reminiscent of Watchmen. Okay. Like I I got that kind of a vibe off of a lot of it. Because it goes to list, we have the Grey Raven, the Cow Chief, and it shows like what all of their abilities and everything are, and it tells you which ones are unpowered. I mean, after after you know, the title page, yeah. Uh, and so, then, yeah. like, there's even a map of Chicago, 1962, showing you which areas like these heroes cover. Uh, so, but they're, they're all, like, some of them are unpowered, but they have, like, special skills. Um, some of them are powered, you know, flight, focused energy bursts. One of them has a zero-point energy gauntlet. I've, I've yeah. seen it used once, still not sure what it does in the comic. You know, we have a sharpshooter, a detective, an anti-kinetics... Whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> it's actually really, really fucking useful. Maybe uh, for that guy. No, like, for being around him, anti-kinetics. Anything okay. that uses, like, kinetic power. Yeah. Like, a gun. 
Okay. Just oh, won't okay. work. Yeah. Wow. How did I not put that together? <laughs> <laughs> but like oh, the shit. the first issue like starts off, these characters are like chasing down this this bad guy who is trying to get away with someone. He has a jetpack. He's going flying through like evading different heroes. One of them goes to stop a grenade that he has launched at her with her like force field and they yell her wait stop it's a flash and it's a flashbang and she fucking blinds herself because it goes off right in her face it doesn't hit her but the flashbang goes off right in her face and she falls out of the sky can't see so uh this guy skylancer he he's the villain that they're chasing Okay. And he's the last member of this, uh, like, super-powered six-member, I think, crime syndicate in Chicago uh, that they have hunted down and chased down since the war. Perhaps they're called the Sinister Six. No, they're not uh, the Sinister Six. Uh, uh, um, no, no. <laughs> you know, the, the Grey Raven was, like, an old war dog. He, he's now in charge of... Cal, the organization, and, and here going back to what I was saying about like the very Watchmen esque feel, like a lot of these pages have that nine panel look from Watchmen. Yeah, which is a very, uh, very tricky thing to master too. Like only so many artists can really pull off the whole nine panel thing. Yeah, there's ba- there's a lot of the just daily work of these heroes just walking a beat essentially Mm. you know there's interaction between the one female and the head of the group who makes everyone think that she's sleeping with him when she's not she hates him he's married but it just goes on like this is the anti-kinetics he stops a guy who came in to the office of cal and he grabs a gun and it won't work because, you know, anti-kinetic powers. And they push the guy out the window. Like, they're they're very ruthless heroes. Yeah. And you can tell through the book they've become very desensitized to everything. Or, like, they're very, like, over what they've signed on to do. Uh, because they're facing budget cuts. You know, the public doesn't really care about them as much as they used to. Yeah, which is which is an interesting take because, uh, yeah, like people love outlaws. Yeah, people love things that are outside the law. So long as it's not like destroying cities or like hurting people, you know, people dig heroes for one of those reasons is because they they they're above it. They work above it. So if you were to legitimize heroes, you would you would almost kill it, the popularity for yeah. the populace. Yeah. And and that's, like, throughout the, the first couple issues of this, you you see that. There's, like, you have you still have the police who do their job. Then you also have Cal who step in to handle, like, some of the bigger things. But it's... They've just gotten to the point where they're over doing what they do. Yeah. You know... Kids view them as, like, stuck-up assholes most of the time. One of which, going to the length of calling the leader an asshole. Like, it's... So far, it's just been a very different and interesting take on the whole superhero scheme that I've never really seen before. Hmm. 
I don't know so much if we haven't seen. Uh, again, you, you drew con- comparisons to Watchmen, and in Watchmen, people are fed up with heroes to a point. People so much so that they'll throw like garbage at the comedian. <laughs> you know, like, okay. Yeah. So yeah. So like, I, like it doesn't sound like anything that's like, it's not new, groundbreaking. Yeah. yeah, it's not groundbreaking or anything, but it does seem interesting. I mean, it's it's not the Watchmen for sure. So, right. Yeah. But like I said, it it has that like, it's set several decades ago. Yeah. Like it's, it's got that dated. It's feel a different to it. story drawing on similar elements. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you I can't mean, hate that. You know, because uh, if you do, then fuck Sentry. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, well, then I think we'll go ahead and uh, retire those to the short box and get into the news. It's time for the news. The phone booth news. That's right, guys. It's time for the phone booth news where we try to give you the news faster than Deadpool can save the day, which gives us three minutes, 45 seconds. A lot of spit right there. Just now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let me get to my page here. Alright, whenever Odal is ready with the timer. And go. In I Didn't Want to Give Out Three Different Segments News, the YouTube channel Dare, that is D-A-R-C-91, made an 80s-style VHS intro for Justice League, so check that out. As of November 19th, the watered-down versions of Japanese's infamous Pokemon... Japan's... infamous Pokemon centers have finally made it to the U.S. While also online, these centers will be popping up in GameStop and ThinkGeek locations nationwide and will feature exclusive goods and collectibles found nowhere else. A five-part documentary series about Image Comics titled So Much Damage had its series debut on the official sci-fi website on November 20th. In comics news, Alex Alonzo is stepping down as editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics and taking his place with a 15-year Marvel veteran, C.B. Sebleski. Sebleski. (laughs) Uh, Dan Buckley, president of Marvel Entertainment, said in a statement, Marvel has set a high bar for superhero stories for over 75 years, and we believe C.B. is uh, perfectly positioned to take Marvel Comics to new heights. Here's hoping they can reach the heights DC Comics has reached in just the past year. In video game news, after recent controversy and the most downvoted post in Reddit history, EA has disabled (laughs) microtransactions in Star Wars Battlefront 2, meaning that all progression will be earned through gameplay. After balancing and adjusting, the in-game crystal purchases will return. In TV news, Amazon Studios has announced that they'll be working with Tolkien Estate and Trust, publisher HarperCollins, and Warner Brothers Entertainment's uh, New Line Cinemas on a multi-season Lord of the Rings show that will serve as a prequel to Fellowship of the Rings. Harley Quinn will be getting her own 26-episode adult animated series on the upcoming DC streaming service, and reports say Warner Brothers is eyeing Margot Robbie as the voice of the character. The description for the show reads, Harley Quinn, who has finally broken things off once and for all with the Joker, attempts to make it on her own as the criminal Quinpin uh, Quinn, Quinn of Gotham City. Uh, the CW has announced their de- debut date for their Berlantiverse show, Black Lightning. The series airs January 16th, 2018. In movie news, a clip from the Jurassic World sequel, Fallen Kingdom, has revealed uh, a clip 
is released featuring Chris Pratt and a baby raptor. I fell apart on that one. This clip will have you saying, life finds a way to be adorable. Speaking of short, adorable videos, Pixar released the first teaser for the long-awaited Incredibles 2 set to hit theaters in summer 2018. Constant Films is... Oh, fuck. Uh, Constant Films is teaming with Bolt Pictures and Prime Universal Films to produce a film adaptation of the Wild, uh, Wildstorm action spy com comic Danger Girl with a subsequent TV series planned. All right. This past Friday, Todd McFarlane posted a partial picture of his Spawn script on Twitter. The section shows a conversa conversation between Twitch and someone named Danny. Another Spider-Man spin-off film has been announced. The Sony film will be centered around Morbius, the living vampire, with the script being developed by Power Rangers writers Bark Sharpless and Matt Sazman. Sazma. Something like that. <laughs> Why do people have complicated names? The Deadpool film franchise's unorthodox ad campaigning strikes again with a hilarious two-minute Bob Ross-themed teaser trailer, and Marvel Studios has cast Marvel, the Kree warrior that Carol Danvers receives her powers from in the comics, for their upcoming Captain Marvel film. Stepping into the role will be Jude Law, joining Brie Larson, Samuel L. Jackson, and Ben Mendelsohn in Marvel's first female-led MCU picture. And that is the news. And we did ah, not save the day. Shit. Yeah, well, I kind of tripped over myself a little bit there as if I were the Flash well, in the Justice League movie. I mean, at least now we have some <laughs> Terry Garcia ice cream to enjoy. Yeah, right? Wait a minute, what? <laughs> I don't get that reference at all. The, the Deadpool trailer. Oh, okay. Well, that he, was the he, second, that was the first teaser trailer. We were talking he, about the Bob Ross one. Nah, he failed to save the guy, so he eats his Cherry Garcia ice cream. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, there you go. All right, never mind. I take it back. I'm sorry I shit on your joke. It was actually it was actually a really good joke, and I fucked it up. You did. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Uh, okay, guys, so coming out of the phone booth news, which if you want to read any of those stories, you can go to our uh, nerd news page, sort of my comics, and uh, like it while you're there. But we have some bigger stories here to cover. Uh, well, I don't know. Like, this was a really hard one to plot out because there was so much phone booth news and arguably... Okay, I thought if we were going to have Travis here. I thought these next two subjects would be a lot of fun, especially with him involved. So I probably would have chosen differently had he not come here, but it takes me hours to write the show, so fuck it. <laughs> we're in it now. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the Rampage trailer, which came out. Uh, Rampage releasing April 20th, 2018. First thing I want to note here, the cast. We got Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Joe uh, Manganiello, Man, 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 Manganiello, Man, Manganiello. Is it Mangioni? Is it Joe Mangioni? Magellan? Is it Chuck Mangioni's cousin? I don't. Holy fuck! I'm sorry. Like, if he ever hears this, I I cannot pronounce your last name. I have no fucking idea. Anyways, <laughs> Melon Ackerman and Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> uh, who doesn't put the Rock in the middle of his name anymore? But I like to add it because he's the fucking Rock. He's the jabroni beating, <laughs> the pie eating, show stopping, heart thrumping. I don't know. Nope. Nope. Half of that is something he's actually said. <laughs> but only half of it. Now, 
You might know from this trailer, first thing for this trailer, the original game's monsters were actually formerly humans, whereas this seems like it's going to be, like, something happens to animals. We don't know what from the trailer. They're transformed by some kind of, like, chemical? Yeah, and and the the, the fucked up thing is that, like, like, you really could have gone any way with this. I mean, like, we're talking about giant animal-type monsters destroying the city, like... George, in the, although he's brown in the game, like, fine, you want him to be an albino gorilla? Sure, whatever. You want to change it from humans to animals who are overgrowing? That's fine. But did we have to change it for, like, the wolf could have, like, become humanoid-ish and stuck to the whole wolf or werewolf aspect from the actual game. And, yeah. you know, like, Godzilla's a thing. So, like, when we, like, you said it while we were watching... The yeah. actual trailer. What did you say? Kind of uh, when it came up, when it, when it was in the water. Oh, I'm like, and Godzilla showed up. Yeah, right? Like, that was, that's exactly what it looks the like. The very first not, thing I thought. When not I saw necessarily that. from, like, not the new Godzilla we have, but the. Uh, oh, it did, like, yeah, the, it the was early reminiscent of like, the 2000s, 2000s Godzilla. American, because who in Japan is just called Zilla. They won't call him Godzilla. That it, he actually makes an appearance in Final Wars and fights the actual Godzilla and gets killed like in two seconds. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, like that's exactly what it looks like until it comes out of the water. Yeah, like when it comes out of the water and you see it's... that that massive maul. Although you know, props on the joke for that because the very first thing, like I think before it comes out of the water, Dwayne Johnson's like. Uh, like something along the lines of what were we missing? A giant crocodile. And honestly, by that point in the trailer, I was like, are they going to show the reptile? Like, are the, what the fuck? Like, are they yeah, doing? you like, you don't think that they're actually going to show yeah. it? I love they had script that motherfucker. But honestly, with uh, with King Kong and Godzilla being in the same universe, and then you got uh, they're talking about bringing the Pacific Rim universe into the same universe as well. Wouldn't it have been so cool if it was Godzilla? Like, just because. The, the original creature in the Rampage game it looks like a Godzilla-type monster. He yeah. doesn't look like a crocodile or anything like that. Maybe in later games. I know they had a bunch of sequels. Oh, yeah. There were tons of them. Uh, I only ever played the, the first one in World Tour, which actually World Tour on the N64 is like a, a lot more of my knowledge is from that game. Well, but, like, a couple years ago, like, I... Uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine, she, like, hooked up on her original Nintendo, and I would just spend hours... She, she hooked up with a Nintendo 64 and got real awkward in our relationship. <laughs> it got real you know, awkward, you know, I just started ignoring the, her The way the that controller is shaped. <laughs> yeah. This is a family show. Alright, uh, yeah. <laughs> But, like, I, I spent several hours just sitting there playing the original Rampage. And, you know, it's not as easy as I remember it being. I, like, I think I played, like, the original Rampage maybe at, like, a cousin's house. Maybe, like, a variety of reasons. I never owned the original one, uh, which, like, actually, like, dates before the NES. But, anyways. Well, wasn't it initially an arcade game before it became yeah, a console it was, game? Yeah, it was an arcade game and stuff. Um, yeah. In the NES version, I was like, okay, this is this is alright. But, friend of mine, in, in the trailer park he used to live in, in Athens, uh-huh. he had it. And we would go over it. This is actually, I think, uh, previously on the show, I... <laughs> 
I've mentioned a friend of mine in that trailer park giving yeah. us that that uh, on Pokemon Red, like learning how to clone Pokemon. Yeah, and then he gave us a copy of his like badass couldn't be beat Charizard. It was the same friend. Okay, <laughs> yeah, we go over there all the time and play this. It was just mesmerizing. I loved it. But uh, yeah, no, like it, w- it would have been really cool had it been Godzilla. It been like. Also, it would have been out of nowhere because we hadn't heard any news, and literally anything that happens in any movie is makes the news. Mentioning that this is like the same universe as everything else, if they could somehow swing that and like tie all of it together, yeah. like maybe this isn't Godzilla himself, but oh, fuck no, bring in Godzilla, fuck yeah. Well, plus it, he'd squash the sh- actually this new Godzilla would squash oh my the shit out of because. Like, this is... Okay, we are really veering away, but I really want to go here. Okay. Like, the the new Godzilla that we have. Like, <laughs> I saw, like, right around the time that the movie came out, there was, like, a size chart of yeah. all of the Godzillas. And he easily, like... And he dwarfs... I don't think he's... All of he's them. a little more than twice the size of the tallest version of Godzilla to ever come out. And, and, like, the biggest one before that was the movie with Matthew Broderick from, like, the early 2000s. Really? Yeah. Because he's smaller than... Well, well he's similar was, in size It was to the it way that uh, he, was, he was long was, was oh, the thing for okay. the Matthew Broderick. Like, from... from from snout he, to tail. Because he's an iguana. Well, yeah. He was longer <laughs> yeah. than he was tall. Yeah. Because he never really stood, like, fully upright, like, you know, classic Godzilla or the the one that we have now. Yeah. But the one that we have now is, like, is two and a half times, 2.5 times bigger than the tallest Godzilla. Yeah. I guess it's like, like if he came walking onto the scene, he would just step on all the monsters yeah. rampaging. Because we're, we're talking about, like... A two-story... We're talking about, like, maybe two... Maybe three-story monsters here. Yeah. Like monstrous animals. Uh, and if you if you haven't seen the trailer, the reason we're complaining about the werewolf is because it's not a werewolf. He's, he's just a wolf. Like, a it's big-ass wolf. wolf. Like, the only thing that they really did to, to make it similar to the, the wolf character from the game was they kind of gave it some hair. Yeah, they gave him more like of a they gave feral it like a type hairstyle. Look. Yeah, now like they like gave a the werewolf hairstyle. A muscular, thirty like three story werewolf could totally fight like a three story gorilla. But a wolf versus a gorilla, even if he's thirty foot, like like no, that wolf is matter. not gonna take that gorilla. Like, not at all. Like almost anything. Going up against a gorilla, yeah. Like most of the time, that gorilla is gonna win. Yeah, and and now this is here's why this is important. This little discussion here is important <laughs> because we're dealing with a video game movie. First of all, like there is not a single great video game movie. There are maybe one or two that are decent. Like like I'm like I. I think I even have it, but I, I enjoy Resident Evil, the first one. Yeah. I hate all the sequels. Every sequel. And they uh, only get worse with time. But, uh... Like, Doom the first had one that right. one first-person moment that was cool. Yeah, literally only that one first-person <laughs> moment that was cool. But, yeah, now, so... We're not dealing with, like, a really well-fleshed-out genre here. And then on top of that, it's also kind of a disaster movie, which is another genre <laughs> which classically is terrible. So, 
the only real thing to come come away from this is, and like in this trailer, it's the only thing that makes me want to go see this movie, is because it's also kind of a monster movie. And when you go see a monster movie, you don't go to see it for the for the people. You don't go to see it for like why is this monster a thing? You go to see fucking monsters. monsters. You go to see them break shit. You go to see them fight each other. You go to see them fuck shit up. And this movie is gonna have that in space. Oh, Mark yeah. my words. That, it, it, the it may be a little more downplayed than you care for. It may not be as much know. in the film as you'd want. Well, I mean, even Godzilla suffers. The new Godzilla film from, uh, I think, 2014. Yeah. That one suffers from it, where it's like, yes, the, the monster fighting and all that stuff was cool, but it's so little of the movie. Yeah. It was such a like bait-and-switch movie, because they, they also had us believing Brian Cranston was the main character, and that was not true. I, that yeah. was far from that true. was that was probably what got me most about yeah. that movie. It's like, oh, Brian Cranston is gonna like subdue Godzilla. Yeah, with like his what, meth. what's Brian Cranston gonna do here? Is he gonna summon the Power Rangers? <laughs> <laughs> this is before. Uh, well, actually, no. I think he was cast by that point, right? For the I, Power Rangers movie. I don't remember. I don't know. It was fucking three years ago. There's too much nerd shit yeah. going on. So like. Fuck it. But it's <laughs> yeah. going to be a fun monster movie. It's going to be a fun monster movie at, at its best. I don't expect anything great from this thing. Uh, like, I'm already questioning, like, where the fuck is the crocodile coming from? Like, uh, there's already questions from the trailer. But the important thing is that it's going to be a cool monster movie. Uh, now, like, here's something. Will a surprise character be Larry, the giant rat you could only play... On the Atari Lynx. Yeah, it was the only time a fourth... Well, okay. I don't know if it was the only time, but it was the first time a fourth character was available. It was only on the Atari Lynx, and he was Larry the Rat, the like, just giant fucking rat that would also destroy buildings. I so. bet they'll have like some kind of homage to him or something. Honestly, because it was only the one time, as far as I know, like as far as I saw from the, the few different pages I read... Uh, yeah, I, honestly, I don't expect him to be in there, but it would be great. It would be so cool, like, of all the things that it's gotten wrong, of all the things that it's probably, like, gonna fuck up, like, the one thing that they could do just for fans, especially because a lot of people's memories of Rampage, the first Rampage game, is from the Atari Lynx. Like, a lot of people bring up Atari Lynx when they talk about that game. Yeah. It could, it, like, they could at least just do that. For them, just be like mid credit scene because we're planning on a sequel because this is gonna make plenty of money. Now it's gonna fall flat on its face. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, mid credit scene, Larry the Rat. That'd be great. That I'd be okay with that. Okay. No, it looks I mean, like yeah. I guess he was in uh, Total Destruction as well. There were okay. apparently a lot of different, like several different, like Rampage characters. Over the years, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I mean, it's like, of all the versions that Rampage came out on, the first game, and then World Tour, and and uh, variety of different systems that came out on, it was really only just those three main characters. And on the NES, it was actually just George and the Wolf, and the Werewolf. That was it. They uh, only had the two characters. You, There was a way to get the lizard? On the NES? Yeah, huh. but I can't remember how. Because, like, you could only have two players on the NES. Yeah. But, like, there was some way to get the lizard involved, and I, I can't remember how it was. All right, well, 
Going from there into our next subject, we actually mentioned on uh, SMP number 27, or 26, uh, in Phone Booth News that Mark Millar was going to have some big kick-ass news coming yeah. in the next week, and uh, he he had a lot of kick-ass news, actually. Yeah, uh, he did. We're going to go with these one at a time. We're gonna, first, we're going to cover the kick-ass news, because uh, there's also hit-girl news, and Kick-Ass is coming back in an ongoing series, which launches February 21st, 2018. And along with switching publishers from Marvel's Icon to Image Comics, the series is going to see a ton of changes, such as the main character and location. Our new Kick-Ass is actually going to be Patience Lee, who's an army vet, mother of two, who returns to New Mexico from Afghanistan to find that her life is in a different state than how she left it. And now she's got to take down the person who killed her father. I don't like no. Uh, <laughs> we don't know the premise yet. Yeah, but we don't know like, the, exact... the character is completely different. We know that she is going to take up the mantle of Kickass, um, and that a lot of the reason uh, behind this change is because Mark Miller likes legacy stories, like what they've done with like the Flash. Where he's passed down the mantle a few times, and uh, maybe the Batman, like just all these legacy stories. Yeah. Where you know, uh, what is his name? Danny. Danny is the main character of the so. Kickass. Yeah. Uh, where he can't be Kickass forever, and like, so this is the new Kickass. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, really cool idea trading up because one of the things that made Kickass interesting was that he was nobody. Like, he had, like, yeah. a, a fucking accident, and, like, some of the nerves were fucked up in him and stuff, so he could barely feel pain, and he, he read comic books, so he was like, I might as well be a superhero. Might as well fucking yeah. do this now. Yeah, so... But it's, it's one of those things, like, he's one of those heroes that he, he literally is nothing that special. Yeah. He can't feel pain, but he can still get his ass handed to him, like... Like, it's nothing. Yeah. And now we've got a true blue ass kicker, a soldier, and she's uh, she's coming into a world that she wasn't expecting. Like, uh, I, I assume something's going to happen with her kids. But yeah, like, I, I like the idea. Mm-hmm. I, I especially like uh, that we're moving to Image, which I think means they're going to get away with a lot more. Oh, yeah. I, th- oh, I think yeah. we're going to see a new level on this book. Like, okay, the the only... I want to see this done by Ryan Otley. Uh, you mean the artist? Like, I want okay. the artist, Ryan Otley, to do the Shit. art for this. <laughs> like, could you imagine... All those hours I spent writing the show, I didn't write down the the, uh, or the illustrator's name. <laughs> but, like, like, could you imagine getting, like, Invincible-style... Gore and fight scenes and everything in Kickass. That would be fucking great. That would be amazing. However, I think Ramita Junior. is coming to this place. No, I like off the top of my head. Like, don't quote me on that, but I think it's Ramita Junior. No, <laughs> why? <laughs> there are so okay. You're you're writing a book called Kickass. I I don't know who all was drawing it before. But the book is called it was Kick John, Ass. I think John Romita Jr. was on the book before. Really? Yeah. But it, like, I've, Get rid I've of read, him! I've read Kick-Ass 1 and 2, and I've read the Hit Girl series. I was, haven't read 3 yet, but... Was it good? I remember J-R-J-R-R. it looking good. I think it fits with this world. 
Really? Like, at the, I, it was okay. good, JR, JR. Uh, it wasn't like, for some reason, every other panel, they're facing to the right. <laughs> they're facing to the right, and they just have the same look on everyone's yeah. face. I, like, I felt like these characters had emotions. So, well, I don't feel like I would have read so far into it if I if they hadn't if it was bad because um, I have given up on books because of bad art before. So. I'll look at it yeah. before I buy it. You should check it out. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, I don't know, read it digitally or whatever you got to do. But uh, yeah, check out Kickass, Kickass, and that like that goes to anyone. I haven't read Kickass three yet, but I intend to, especially in preparation for these. But yeah, like I mean, they're they're great books. They're really great. And the movies the movies are not, like, a scapegoat. You can't say, well, I saw the movies. Because 2 borrows elements from Kick-Ass to the, the comic, but it doesn't actually really follow well, that story a whole lot. And then Kick-Ass 1 is only really the actual story of Kick-Ass, like, for about half the movie. Well, I mean, so. that, that goes for anything, you know. The the closest movies that I've ever seen, like that correlate well with the comics, are the DC animated. Yeah, like those uh, are... I'd say Watchmen is pretty damn close. Yeah, for a lot like, of elements. What what was it? Only the very end. Well, was a little bit I think different. they well they took like that scene in the alleyway where like before they're all back in costume where Night Owl and Silk Spectre get jumped in the alley. Yeah. Cuz he's uh I think he's walking her to his place or something. But yeah, that never happened in the book. There were a few things they took some liberties with, but yeah, like for the whole, especially if you watch the ultimate edition, it's it's pretty close to the book. But yeah, no, you definitely read these books. They're really cool. And um I mean, if, if anything in this sounds interesting you should definitely get get up on it because this is essentially kick-ass four i don't know what their the actual title of the book is going to be yet they haven't announced it but yeah it's essentially kick-ass four yeah now the other spectrum of this is also uh, another ongoing series from this universe called hit girl that's going to be coming on the same day the 21st and uh 21st of february i should say uh <laughs> But uh, this actually picks up immediately after Kick-Ass 3. Uh, the pints... And, and like, I, I wrote this out. The pint-sized <laughs> pint Punisher becomes a hero for hire in her own right. Uh, Mindy is now actually traveling the globe, putting down evil with every stop. Her first job actually brings her to Columbia to help a mother whose children were killed by the country's most feared hitman. Uh, the series is actually going to see multiple writers. Uh, Mark Mo uh, Miller is going to be covering the first arc himself. Uh, Kevin Smith is taking on the second arc, All which right. is set in L.A. Uh, and, and with every arc comes a different location yeah awesome. so we're gonna see hit girl globe trotting and just like killing all these fucking assholes because and, and this is something that um essentially something that miller said in an interview about this book was that he likes the idea of splitting these characters up like it's cool to see them work with each other but you can't just do that because we're kick-ass is like he's more of a hero in the way that he knocks people out his partner is over here shooting people in the face. So, uh, it's like you've got you've got Batman and the Punisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's uh, actually uh, in another article I read they Daredevil called it the Punisher. They called it a pint-sized Punisher meets Polly Pocket. 
<laughs> oh my yeah. god so uh yeah it's it's really one of those things where yes they can work well together but it would get old fast like you yeah get, like there's really only so much you could do so it's and and having read the actual hit girl book that they did it was really fun seeing her out on her own i can't wait to see uh maybe a little older i don't know if they're gonna keep her um like child like or, or she's gonna be a preteen at this point she's gonna be a teenager at this point but like i'm i'm sure they're going to keep her at least like underage yeah so it's gonna be cool to see where this goes just like seeing her interacting with normal people too, like taking on their job like how can i help you type shit like just seeing her put like being a real <laughs> oh dick to people <laughs> i just I, I for some reason i want her to have this moment where she's in this like ridiculously cheesy burger place having okay. having to take someone's order and they just start getting like shitty with her about getting it wrong she you know just what flips though? on them like okay so this uh with kick ass they he's got two years of ideas worth for there like he knows oh, wow. two, he's got the first two years of that book plotted out with this he has three years he had three years ready to go on the day so he's obvi- i think he's obviously a little more invested in hit girl yeah uh but yeah so he's got three years ready to go there so really for this run i like i don't think we'll get to see anything like that but if they do a later run like the next like hit girl series that they do it would be cool to see her as a teenager now she has to get her own first job like uh i don't know maybe like the money's not coming in like used to her maybe she feels bad about taking money from people for taking jobs which we don't know if that's exactly Whoa. what she's going to be doing. That's just what it makes it sound like is she's kind of a mercenary, but for all the good reasons. I feel like it, like if we get like 16, 17-year-old hit girl, it's going to be one of those like she's going to get this job at McBurger Town to to blend maybe, in to or like, maybe like oh my god like a scene where she's like actually working as a waitress in like an actual restaurant oh god. somebody grabs her ass and oh, oh and like, like she breaks their arm no no she like with okay we're trying to set the scene the guy is to her right she is standing there she takes her left hand pulls it behind her back grabs his arm pulls him close to her like side so his like face is on her side she grabs like a saucer from the table smash it in uh, smashes it into the guy's throat she lets go of his arm kicks him to the floor flips the table over onto him <laughs> and then says will there be anything else <laughs> <laughs> That would be great. I love that scene right there. Mark Miller, you can have that. Please use that. Like somewhere with Hit Girl, that would just be great. I would love to see Mindy do that little scene right there. And that was off the top of my head. That's just off the cuff. Right? Yeah. So this is going to be fun. I can't oh, wait yeah. for these books to come out. Uh, you need to get caught up on the comics. You should really read these comics. As a Miller fan oh, alone, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, so, yeah, we're, we're getting some new Kick-Ass and Hit Girl stuff but unfortunately there's someone we're not going to be getting anything new from and uh that's going to bring us to the last thing i want to talk about on the show today and that is um well on november 16th the 57 year old voice actress hiromi tesuru was found unconscious in her car along the shuto expressway in tokyo 
she was rushed to the nearby hospital where she was pronounced dead. And the next day, it was discovered that she had died of an uh, aortic dissection. It was actually an uncommon condition with in which the inner layer of the aorta tears and later causes the aorta to separate entirely. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Hiromi's acting career extends as far back as 1961 and includes films, TV, video games, but her most notable credit would actually be Bulma Briefs from the Dragon Ball franchise, who she's brought to life in every appearance of the character since 1986 Dragon Ball Z. Yep. So the reason this matters to me, like really matters, because I, I okay, we we do live in America. We have our American version of Dragon Ball Z, which we've all watched, we all love, you know, like everything. But I actually have a bit of a connection to the Japanese version of this character because I think it was around the time that uh, the. Uh, what saga was it? The Majin Buu saga mm. was happening. Like, I'd watched. Through the Cell Saga and the American version and everything. Like, I'd seen some Dragon when, Ball back in the day. When we weren't getting, like, the new episodes. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, because, yeah, like, there was, a, like... No, I'd say it's still in line, but I'll talk about this that a little bit later. But, uh, yeah, when they were, like, uh, like, 20, 40 episodes ahead of everyone or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my aunt, who I was living with at the time, actually had like the full cable package and i was looking for something to watch like i think it was like maybe 1 a.m or something and uh i i pop over i see dragon ball z come up on the the menu and then uh it goes to the channel and here i am seeing fucking super boo and go tanks and all this other like all this new stuff i'm like what the fuck is this this isn't dragon balls i don't know any of this shit <laughs> <laughs> so i started watching that stuff with the the subtitles on and everything so i was like a little ahead of the game on everyone yeah and like and it wasn't really about being ahead of the game like it just didn't matter to me that it was in japanese either i was just i was watching dragon ball z and i was seeing stuff nobody else had seen like i was getting to know the future of these characters. Like, I had missed some stuff, so it wasn't until later when the American versions came out that I got to see those, but... Uh, I also really enjoyed, like, on some of the PlayStation games, the Budokai Tenkaichi yeah. and shit like that, they actually had an option to turn uh, the language to Japanese. Right. And for the longest time, I did that with every game. Like, for some reason, it was so coo much cooler to me to put it in Japanese... And Balma was a narrator on a lot of these, and that was who was doing the voice. Yeah, was uh, Hiromi was doing that voice. Uh, and then, fast forward years later, Dragon Ball Super starts, and like just from the news, I was like, I want to be on this. And so I started watching the show in Japanese. I'm still watching the show up to date in Japanese because uh, I think the Japanese show is a hundred like I want to say like 116, 117 episodes in. Like the American show is like fifty or sixty episodes in, so yeah, there's still like the huge, the gap. huge gap. So, and I haven't even started watching the American one. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I think I'm just gonna wait for the Japanese one to finish, and then I'll start the American. Because <laughs> I'm so ahead. Like, I don't care about the like reading. I like reading the subtitles and stuff. We're getting some of the coolest stuff. Like, yeah. You know, and and. 
to be fair, it had like not to be like, oh man, I care so much because I'm watching the Japanese. Like, it has been a while since Balma's been on there, but like, what would the show be without Balma? At some points, at least, right? And she has been on the show. She like she all throughout like maybe the first seventy or eighty episodes, like she's she's in and out of there. Yeah, like, heavily. It's what? really just been these la like since this tournament started, this most recent. Um, other oh, world, yeah. not other world, but uh, tournament for the Zenokai, who's like the god of gods. Like, yeah, uh, it's a whole thing. To go there's, into, but... Later on, there's gonna be someone that's gonna be above him. Like, yeah, the chain of command just never stops. But it, she has had an impact on my life. She has been there during certain points of my life, or where I've gotten to like experience Dragon Ball in another level. Like, yeah. because everyone played the, the PlayStation games, but who, who else really put them on Japanese? I got to, I got to have fun with that. Yeah. Like I got to see Dragon Ball Z in a whole brand new light when I thought it couldn't get any better. And I hadn't really thought that they were that far ahead of us. Like I thought <laughs> like we were like right there on the same level more or less. Like maybe there were a few episodes ahead, but no, like they were in a whole other saga, <laughs> like halfway through it. You know, and she, and she was there to help out with that, and uh, and then like I said, just I could not wait for the American Dragon Ball Super. I had to go into this one, and she made it just as entertaining as that. Even though I couldn't understand the words she was saying, I had to read them. Like I still got the infliction from yeah. her voice. I got to experience her emotion, yeah. in the acting. So yeah, we are we are really losing someone here, especially because Dragon Ball's not over. Right. Like Dragon Ball Super is still going. Like we don't know if they have plans to go past this new tournament that they're doing. Like, are we ever gonna see the Bulma character again? Like at this, and she was pregnant, or no? She she just had Bulma, like just before the tournament. Yeah, I'd I'd say they'll continue the character. They'll just find someone with a incredibly similar voice. Yeah, they'll they'll have to probably, and uh, like uh. I'm sure that, like, Akira Toriyama has, has headed up this whole thing so far. Like, he's been very involved, like, pretty much rectifying the mistakes of GT. GT. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure he'll be involved in that process and they'll do the character right. But it, it's just really a set. Because, like I said, she was only 57. It right. wasn't that old. Like, this was, unfortunately, a condition that is, like, a lot of the times just fatal. Like, it's, they would check, like, so many other things before checking for this. Right. So, even if they would got, if she had made it to the hospital at the time that she, because she was found, like, blinker, emergency blinkers were going. She was still strapped in her seatbelt. She had obviously pulled off to the side of the road. Uh, so, yeah, and, like, even if she had pulled into the hospital at that moment, she still could have passed. Yeah. So... Yeah, it, it's just sad to only just now realizing the the points in my life that she's been there for. Like, <laughs> like, like, I feel a little bad. Like, I never really appreciated these Japanese voice actors as yeah. much, and now, now here we are. So, that does suck. so if anything, I am going to be paying a little more attention to that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Has she like? What about you? Did did you ever have any connection to the Japanese version of the the shows? Not really. Like I've kind of like you. I've watched some of the Japanese ones on typical American, like late night <laughs> TV. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And really this is this is back when they were like six hundred 
channels and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, th- this was before everything was streaming. I think this was before anything was really streaming. I mean, you could... They would show some things on the internet. They would stream on the internet. But it wasn't, like, whole companies. Like, in Netflix. Right. There was no Netflix. Nothing like Netflix then. So, yeah, like, we, we've lost... Uh, an important member of the Dragon Ball family, and uh, especially for the Japanese viewers and the the Japanese fans who buy the video games and all that stuff, she will be missed for sure. Now, <laughs> I think that's a, a good place to end this, uh, guys. We we did a special Justice League episode of sort of my podcast we went did. out last week. Check that out. Uh, and Boba Fett joined us for that. That was right. fun. He went and saw the movie with us. It was a good time. Uh, we've got the Christmas Commoners Commentary winner. You guys voted, and it was the Santa Claus with an E. You get it? Yeah? Because it's lawyers. Because it's, it's, it's a clause. It's a contract, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're still listening after that... <laughs> Like, you know, comment down below. Let us know what you thought about any of the stories we talked about. What, what, do you have any memories of uh, Hiromi from the Japanese Dragon Ball universe? Uh, no one's going to have memories of her. Somebody might. Somebody might. Like, I did. So, come on. Like, <laughs> shit. It's not, it's not that there's no Americans out there. Maybe we're broadcasting in ja- Japan. You know, you don't you know. Nobody in Japan says so <laughs> it. Let's, let's let's come back in from the clouds, Vinny. And if you're still listening after all that, you obviously like this enough. Or you're you're interested or intrigued or baffled. So go ahead and follow us because there's more of this coming in the future for sure. Uh, guys, my name is Vincent Herman, Ben the Human, James Odell, Alpha Specter, and it's time to play that non not Japanese after music. I don't know what I was doing there. Just play it. <laughs> Thank you.